this being Jackie Robinson Day across baseball. And the reason that I say that is is because I, I had an opportunity to, to go see the movie 42, the Jackie Robinson story, earlier today. And I want to get into that in the second half of our show tonight, just before our Ask Us segment. But, you know, it kind of makes me wonder, Mark, and, and I don't want to get political about this, especially on a baseball show when people are tuning in to, to listen to us talk about the Reds and the Indians, but I think it's got to be said that, you know, last July, the opening of the Batman movie in Colorado, there's a problem. Uh, in, in Connecticut, just a few months ago, there's a problem. Today in Boston, another problem. And you look back at this movie and you see what Jackie Robinson had to go through and the climate and the tenor of what our country was in back then. Are we ever going to learn? There are a preponderance of good, decent people in the country. The vast majority, maybe 99% plus. But there is that single percentage or a part of a percentage that can destroy lives just because they are so miserable. What they want to do is take out as many people as they can. I don't know how you ever prevent that. And as our society grows, um, I'm... Again, this is not a political show, not the time for it. But whatever we're doing now isn't working. And unless we take take steps that evoke major changes in, in how we address these kinds of issues, it's going to get worse. It won't get better. So um, it, it's almost... The frustration as we as we become more educated as a society uh, and, and and more sensitive and, and it can't overcome that small nugget of people who just want to hurt other people <laughs> and it's not a political thing it's just that uh, there are certain people out there we're never going to be able to control no matter what we do. No, you're absolutely right. Well. Welcome to tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. We're going to get started talking about the Reds and the Indians here this evening. I'm Dave Mitchell along with Mark Donahue, and you can contact us here this evening via the social media. If you'd like to email us, you can email us at dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or ask us at ultimatesportstalk.com. You can also give us a tweet at ohbbcohost. Today, uh, today, Mark, also is uh, Income Tax Day. What a thrill. We did you file your extension? <laughs> no, I, I get it over with. <laughs> and uh, you know, every t- time that the only time I feel better is when I finally get the check in the mail. And okay, I did it. And I, you know, you you, you don't want to write that big check. And uh, but I'm fortunate I can write the check. I guess in, in many cases, but it's it's no less frustrating, particularly when you see what goes on in Washington and. We send our money there, and you shake your head and say, why? Why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start off with the Reds because um, they're playing tonight. The Indians aren't. And I guess over the weekend you could have said, why are they doing this? <laughs> A three-game sweep at the hand of Pittsburgh. Uh, the Reds are 5-7 and seven coming into tonight's game, a five-game losing streak. They're two games back in the division, Mark, and they're playing Philly tonight at Great American Ballpark. But the news is pretty good coming out of there right now. Yeah, the Reds are up 2 to nothing with two out in the eighth inning. Uh, Brandon uh, um, Bronson Arroyo throwing a great game, three hit shutouts so far. But yeah, I have some regular friends of mine, friends of mine who are regular listeners down in Florida, and they heard our show a couple of weeks ago, and I got all kinds of grief because I picked the Reds to finish third in the division. And I did not make that prediction without some kind of thought behind it. But I think in, in what happens in Pittsburgh this weekend and what has happened so far with this team, if, it's, if it doesn't change, the Reds, I think, are destined to finish second, third, or even fourth in this division. Last year, the Reds went through the entire season, and their starting rotation did not miss a start. They had one rain out where they brought in a minor leaguer to pitch, but the, the, the five starters did not miss a start. That's not going to happen this year, and I, I put that into my equation. But the other thing that got me about this team is how many holes they have offensively in this team. And 
When you have a catcher hitting 036, you've got a combined left fielders hitting 152, and you have the, the shortstop hitting 150, plus the pitcher. That's four almost automatic outs they have in that lineup. Now, obviously, they lost Ryan Ludwig on opening day, but right now, their three, four, and five hitters have one home run among them. That's, and we're two weeks into the season. Joey Votto has one home run. Jay Bruce does not have a home run. I mentioned the low batting averages of those other three players. And Chris Heisey is spitting the bit. This is his chance, and he's hitting 152. So th- this team offensively is very easy to pitch to. You, you can see holes in the swings of all these players. And what really concerned me was, was Todd Frazier and Zach Cozart because they're second-year players. And believe me, and the Reds just uh, tied – the Phillies just tied the game. It's 2-2. Two to two. At any rate – Huntley just hit a two-run homer. Yep. Pinch, pinch hit home pinch run. Pinch hit homer. At any rate uh, – the Reds offensively really don't have anything going for them right now. And when that pitching falls apart, like the bullpen has, uh, this team is not very good. So unless uh, Walt Jockety and, – and, and by the way, these guys in Florida were saying that there was a rumor that the Reds were interested in Giancarlo Stanton and to put him in left field. And that I'd love to see that. But apparently uh, the Marlins were looking for Billy Hamilton, uh, Homer Bailey, and one other uh, – top uh, minor leaguer. So I don't think that deal is going to happen. But uh, at any rate... Uh, I'm not so sure I wouldn't make that deal, Mark. I, I'm not Stan, sure I wouldn't Stan's make only 25. Yeah, but, uh, you know, you have Homer Bailey, who could be a flagship starter uh, in the next two or three years. I mean, he's, he's coming into his own. Uh, arguably the best minor leaguer the Reds have in Billy Hamilton outside of Tony Singrani, uh, who who will be up this week. And then uh, who, I don't know who the other minor leaguer was, uh, but it was somebody the Reds coveted. Uh, you know, the, the other thing is the salary. I mean, this guy is going to be <laughs> – got to pay him uh, Joey Votto money almost. Um, and I just don't think the Reds are going to make that deal, but uh, who knows. He, he would certainly be a welcome addition to what they have now. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Mark, and, and you and I are both watching the Reds-Phillies game. I, I got to wonder – Eh, just just for the guys out there that aren't aren't too big of fans of Dusty Baker, why would if you've got the best bullpen in baseball, like the Reds do, you both both you and I agree on that. Why would you let Arroyo go out in the eighth inning? Well, I don't mind him going out in the eighth and getting the first two hitters, uh, but when he gives up a you know, the potential tying run and you have Chase Utley up there, why not bring in Chapman to, to face him? <laughs> He's a left-hand hitter. Uh, that makes no sense to me. Uh, why wouldn't you bring in your closer to pitch one extra guy in the eighth inning and, and shut him down? That, that's so frustrating. I mean, it's easy to second-guess after the guy hits a home run, but do you, you think that uh, Chase Utley is going to hit a home run off a Rolls Chapman? I don't think so. No, I mean, especially after how he's made uh, Josh Hamilton look in the first week of the season. And, you know, we've got the Ask Us segment coming up here in just a little bit. But I'm going to preview one of the questions, and, and I'm going to pose it to you right now because this came in on our for our Ask Us segment. Tyler56 writes in, Mark, with Cueto out, any chance of Chapman moving into the starting rotation? Uh, I don't think at, at all. Uh, now with the bullpen, uh, with um, Sean Marshall on the disabled list and Broxton exploding yesterday, um, no, I, I don't think that would weaken the bullpen even more. And you've got arguably the best minor league pitcher in baseball in Tony Singrani. I don't know if you saw his numbers, <laughs> but they're ridiculous. <laughs> I think he struck out 26 batters in 14 innings. Hasn't walked anybody and given up two hits, I think. Uh, so he he's he's the real deal, and uh, he'll he'll be starting uh, opening that series against the Marlins on Thursday night. And he's going to take the place of Cueto. Now Cueto's out with the same injury that he had in the playoffs last year against the Giants. Correct, the oblique strain. 
No, it's it's not. It's, it's that it's a lat strain, um, which is more uh, into the tricep and, and lat area rather than the oblique. The oblique is a much worse injury. <clears throat> when you pull your oblique, you can be out for a while. But who knows? Maybe that oblique strain has put other pressures on his shoulder. You, you don't know. And that led to the problem. But today, during the Reds broadcast, they indicated they didn't think it was a, uh, a serious injury, uh, that he should you know, come back after two weeks. Who, who knows? But um, if the Reds don't have that starting rotation, uh, they're in trouble. This team is in big trouble. And it'll be interesting to me if Singrani pitches well and if and when Cueto comes back, what do you do with Mike Leake? Because Mike Leake has not pitched well so far this year. Well, before we get to the Indians, I, while I was watching the Reds play the Pirates on Saturday night and watching their anemic offense and that loss to the Pirates, I wanted to ask you a question, and it was one that I had written down here to ask you tonight. As far as the lineup is concerned for the Reds, why don't they put Cozart batting second right behind Chu with Phillips third, Bat Votto in cleanup. Now, I know Dusty hates the lefty-lefty guys back-to-back, but then put Frazier fifth and Bruce sixth. Why don't they go with that kind of a lineup? Instead of going with what they have, it, it just doesn't seem to be working. Well, the problem is you can't hide three hitters. You, 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 know, you just can't hide them. And the, the problem has been uh, there's not been enough, enough base runners on to, for guys to drive runs in, and when they do get them on, You'll have either Zach Kozart come up, Ryan Hannigan come up, or um, the left fielder come up. Uh, Han- um, I can't think of his name. Uh, Heisey, Chris Heisey. So, or the pitcher. You've got there's so many holes in the lineup. You can't sustain a rally, and it, it doesn't matter where you hit them. If you hit those guys at the bottom third, you've got four consecutive outs. And if you hit them in the middle of the lineup, you know, they break up the momentum. Right now, those guys are just not, not hitting at all. I've never seen I've, I've never seen Ryan Hannigan, number one, look this bad. I haven't seen anybody look that bad at the plate. I think he has well, much. do you think that Hannigan is going to snap out of it? I mean, he's, he's a proven contact hitter. Well, that, that's the point. You, you think he's going to snap out of it, but what if he doesn't? Well, then you've got to go with Mazzarocco. Well, yeah, you got to go with Mezzarocco, but, you know, the, the bigger problem for me is not catcher so much. I, I think between Mezzarocco and, and Handigan, you're probably going to get a combined batting average of 240, 245 by the end of the year, maybe 9 or 10 home runs, drive in 40, 50 runs, which with good defensive catching is acceptable. What's not acceptable is what you have in left field. And I don't understand why <clears throat> Xavier Paul against a right-hander has been given a chance. He's got more RBIs than Heisey does in, in one-tenth the number of, ba- of bats. So it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty bizarre that the, that many guys in the lineup are having those kinds of problems. And then, again, when you combine that with no power from Jay Bruce at all, Joey Botta with one home run, and you don't have Ryan Ludwig. I mean, you, don't ha- you don't have a heck of a lot to, uh, to throw out there. Yeah, I think uh, – you're right. Heisey is really blowing this opportunity. Uh, he has just not come through when the Reds needed him. And, and, of course, it's still early. We're only in week three of the season. There's still only two games back. Uh, the Cardinals are not exactly world beaters. And you know the Pirates aren't going to win the division. Uh, I don't care what you say. The Pirates just don't have the pitching, either their starting pitching or their bullpen, to win that division. Uh, so when you look at what's going on in the division, I don't think the Reds, even though how they're playing, I don't think they're sitting bad. Well, it's it's interesting what's happening right now. A second a second guesser's heaven right now is taking place with the Reds game. The Reds have runners at second and third uh, with one out, and uh, the Phillies have elected they have a left-hander throwing, and Joey Votto uh, they've elected to, to intentionally pass him uh, to get to Brandon Phillips with the bases loaded. So we'll see how that, that pans out. But these are the kinds of things that, that the second-guessers look at. But that, what a tribute to uh, Joey Votto, who, <coughs> by the way, alone, Joey Votto has outwalked 
I, I think he now has 19 bases on balls so far. That's more than three major league teams have as a team. And Joey Votto is just not getting an opportunity to swing the bat. So uh, that, that tells you the kind of respect the league has for him. Yeah, it really does. Well, let's move over to the Indians where yesterday was uh, not a very good day. Uh, they ended up losing the game to the White Sox, although Brett Myers came out and pitched a pretty good ball game for the Tribe. I mean, after the first two outings where he was just blasted and then a uh, bullpen session that uh, ended up being a T-ball session for the New York Yankees, uh, Brett Myers came out, and I'll tell you what, Mark, if he can give us six and a third innings every game and give up only three earned runs, I'll be happy. That's what he did yesterday, but the Indians' bats just didn't come out. They ended up losing that ball game three to one, but they did take two out of three from the White Sox. They're off today. The Indians are now five and six. They're a game and a half back of Detroit and Kansas City, right about where I figured they would be for the rest of the season, Mark, but... Michael Bourne went down yesterday. He slid head first, and again, here we are with these head first slides. He slid head first into first base, trying to beat out a slow, slow bouncer. He ended up beating it out, but he was spiked in the right finger uh, after he passed the bag by the pitcher, who then ran over uh, <laughs> Jim Evans, the umpire. Uh, so now what has happened is Bourne had to have four stitches put in the tip of that finger. He's out for at least five to seven days. So that means Drew Stubbs is now the leadoff man and the full-time center fielder. And I'm going to get off on the uh, Cleveland media here in just a little bit, but um, Drew Stubbs is going to play center field for us. He's going to bat leadoff. Now we're going to see just what type of ball player we got from the Reds because Terry Francona has been able to spell him, Mark. He's leading the team in strikeouts, but he's he's the co-leader. He's got 14 so far, and as Drubal Cabrera has 14, and as Drubal Cabrera has just looked awful. But, the but how many at-bats? That, that Stubbs has put the ball in play, Mark. He's done a pretty good job. How many at-bats do they have, respectively? 35 each. Okay. So they're, they're striking out about 40% of the time. Yeah, they are. And uh, let me give you the exact stats here on his Drupal Cabrera. Uh, when I, I look at his, okay, he's got 42 at-bats, I'm sorry, and 14 strikeouts. He's batting 119. And Drew Stubbs, 35 at-bats, and he's batting 200 with 14 uh, strikeouts. The thing that I'm... Uh, a little confused about with the Indians is the fact that as a team they've got three stolen bases. Bourne, Reynolds and Stubbs each have one stolen base and that was supposed to be the hallmark of this offense this year. Now the Yankees, the two games that they played against the Yankees, the first game against the Yankees the home opener was a blowout behind Jimenez. I'll get into that in a second. The second game was the game that Carlos Carrasco pitched. Now, Mark, I'm not going to say that Carlos Carrasco was correct when he hit Kevin Euclid and was suspended for eight games. But i got to tell you something, Mark. Major League Baseball, and I, and I touched upon this on my Thursday night show, Major League Baseball has to do something about the umpiring. The Marty Foster incident in Texas last Monday night in that Tampa Bay game, that third strike on Joe Nathan's 300th career save was abominable. It was a terrible call. Now, you've got Carrasco hitting Euclid after a home run by Robinson Cano last Tuesday. Now, Saturday, Mark, Chris Sale of the White Sox gave up a grand slam to Mark Reynolds in the fifth inning, and the very next pitch hit Michael Brantley in the back, and both teams got a warning. If Major League Baseball wants to put a stop to hitting these players, they've got to do one of two things. Either when that pitcher gives up a home run and he plunks the next batter, he's out of the game automatically, or quit throwing pitchers out totally and put them back at the plate. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. And it, you're going to see a lot more of that in the American League than you will in the National League because the pitchers have to bat. 
<laughs> you know, so uh, that is policed a lot more readily in, in the National League. But what's your thought on the Zach Greinke situation? Well, you know, I, I thought that was pretty stupid on Carlos Quinton's part. To think that he's going to be thrown at and hit in a, in a game like that on a 3-2 pitch with one out in a one-run ball game, come on, you've got to understand the situation. But I'm going to tell you another thing, Mark. I don't think ballplayers nowadays, at least a majority of them, do understand the situation. Did you see the game that Tampa Bay played this weekend? When And I forget who, who, I believe it was against Toronto. They lost the game in the bottom of the ninth inning. Joe Madden went to the mound, brought in one of his outfielders. He played a five-man infield with the bases loaded and one out and a two-man outfield. The ball gets hit to second base, and what does the second baseman do? Throws the first. <laughs> what is he thinking? That's what I'm saying. Carlos Quinton, for crying out loud, you got to understand... You know what? And and the media was saying, oh well, uh, Granky said something to Carlos Quentin as he was walking towards the mound. Yeah, you know what I saw him say? What? That's what I saw him say. What? So Carlos Quentin is going to charge the mound because that Granky looked in at him and said, what? I I don't get these guys anymore. I've got I hear Jim Leland now, who I respect as a manager. I think he's one of the best in the game. But I hear him say on an interview on Major League Network this weekend that he tells his players if they think that the pitcher's throwing at him, charge them out. Well, if that's what Bud Selig wants in Major League Baseball, if you want to go to a baseball game and see a hockey game break out, fine. Let's do that. But when you've got umpires, Mark, that Carlos Carrasco hits a guy and he's thrown out of the game immediately. And Chris Sale does exactly the same thing. And they just issue a warning. There's something wrong with the way these umpires are umpiring the game. Well, I've been a, a, a big proponent of punishing bad umpiring. In other words, you, 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 you find them, you suspend them. There, that, that call the other night against the Rangers was so outrageous. Uh, you know, the, the ball was a foot outside. And I, what I don't understand is why can't the, the, the head, the crew chief of that team, umpiring team, say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That, that was outrageous. You missed it. Accidentally missed it, but you missed it. Get back. We're going to pitch that again. I mean, that, if they do instant replay, the idea is to get the calls right. That's their goal. And everybody in America saw that pitch. Was not even, it wasn't even close to being a strike. So why can't you, the, the, the other three empires get together and say, look, something got in your eye, you missed it, but we're going to re replay that. Uh, if they did that in terms of getting the calls right, that would improve the game. But you're right, in, uh, these pitchers throwing at hitters what I don't like about your suggestion, if you hit the next batter, you're going to be thrown out of the game. Well, they'll just, they'll just wait a batter. They'll hit the second batter if they, if they want to get back at somebody. So there has to be a suspension involved. There has to be a heavy fine involved. So these guys just don't do that. I'm telling you what's going to happen eventually, and it's happened before. Careers have ended when pitchers come up and in, and they hit a guy in the head. Uh, a, a lot of careers have ended that way. And what people don't realize is a lot more of those careers have ended in, in minor league ball where a, a kid gets hit and, and their, their career is over. This is not playing around. You've got a ball coming in at 95 miles an hour that can kill you. And to, to say, I'm going to get back at somebody because he hit a home run off of me is absurd. You're right. And why do you think the batting helmet was invented? Do you think somebody just sat around one night from Adidas or Nike and thought, gee, this is a great way to sell a helmet? No, it's because somebody got plunked in the head one too many times. That's why you've got the base coaches wearing helmets now. Because in the minor leagues, as you said, the coaches got hit with line drive, foul line drives in the head. Mark, i I got to say, I agree with Don Mattingly. You really want to put a stop to this? Okay, forget the ideas that I had. You want to put a stop on it? Hey, you charge the mound, that pitcher gets hurt, you are out for as long as that pitcher is. And I, Carlos Quinton, eight-game suspension, that's an embarrassment to baseball. 
I mean, yeah, he you, should, you've got to understand the situation. It is. I agree. He, he needs to be suspended until Zach Grinke comes back because he, he was clearly the guy who caused that. Quentin did. Uh, he's just an idiot. I mean, to, to charge in that situation, I mean, it made no sense at all. Yeah, it, it really did. And the thing about it is, Mark, he's getting the same suspension that Carlos Carrasco did. Now, think about it, people. Carlos Carrasco's a pitcher. He's going to miss two starts at the most. Chances are he's not even going to miss two starts because they've already sent him to the minor leagues, and the chances of them bringing him up before September are slim and none now. He's already proven that he's got nothing between the ears. When you're just coming off a suspension for hitting a guy two years ago and the very first outing that you've had since that time because of the Tommy John surgery, you give up a home run and you plunk the next guy, and you think people are going to sit there and say, oh, you know, for example, Mark, uh, just just for the sake of argument, and, and this brings me to uh, my argument about the Cleveland media, here is how the Indians announcers, and listen to this one, Mark, I'm not going to play the whole thing. This is how the Indians announcers, Matt Underwood and Rick Manning, it described Carlos Carrasco hitting Kevin Euclid. Just listen to this. I say I would say he's officially locked in. Now here you go. Now That's Carrasco, how he ended up. This is how he ended up with his six-game suspension. Carrasco looked like he had fallen down as he delivered the pitch. Certainly, eyebrows are arched in the Yankee dugout after that. But Terry Francona wants to come out to see was a warning issued. I couldn't tell what Jordan Baker he was gesturing, but it was, he didn't fall down. That was intentional. That's what I wanted to play, Mark, was the fact that Rick Manning had the guts to stand up and say, he threw at the guy. Matt Underwood is sitting there as the Indians announcer. And i got to tell you, Mark, i got no respect for Matt Underwood as the Indians announcer, especially after this stupid comment. I said on my Thursday night show, I'm going to repeat it tonight. Harry Carey in a drunken stupor doing the Chicago Cubs games was more aware of what's going on in the ballpark than Matt Underwood was that night and Carlos Carrasco hitting Euclid. <laughs> and all he did was want to make up some excuse that Carrasco fell down. Carrasco fell down after he plunked Euclid. Well, it, it just you... amazes me at the Cleveland media, Mark. And, and then I'm sick of, and, and, and I'm t I'm partially to blame too because I've brought it up to you. Can Shinsu Chu play center field, Mark? I've heard Greg Brenda on ESPN Cleveland for the last two weeks absolutely go bonkers over Shinsu Chu playing center field for the Reds and how on the opening day he misplayed a, a fly ball to center field that resulted in a triple. I called you right afterwards. You'll attest to this. You said it never happened. I never saw it happen. It's the only time I ever heard it happen. But then two nights ago, I saw Drew Stubbs playing center field, and he misplayed a ball into a triple. Now, Drew well, Stubbs is supposed to be one of the best center fielders in baseball. If he could do it, so could you. That's, the Cleveland media just has absolutely no idea what's going on. Well, they can say what they want about Chu. He, he had the, the tough game in St. Louis last week, but they were they were balls right in the sun. I'm not giving. There's, he should have caught them. There's no excuse for that. But that's really it was a 4 p.m. game in 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 Bush Stadium, and center field is a real bear out there. But uh, he's hitting about 350. He has an on base percentage of 525 or 530. Uh, he, he's playing good center field. I, I take that trade again and again and again and again. Uh, he he has really helped the Reds, and and he, he's going to play a decent. Center field. Chu is not the Reds' problem. Uh, they have got a lot of problems, but it's not him. Yeah, and, and, and Drew Stubbs is, is not a problem with the Indians. But, Car you know, Carlos Carrasco, even Chris Perez, you and I have talked about Chris Perez. He, he, he crossed up the catcher again, Carlos Santana, and cost us a week with Carlos Santana because Santana was expecting a slider, turned his glove over to try to block it in the dirt, and it was a fastball, and it hit him right on the meat part of the wrist, right above the catcher's glove. So Santana was out, and Santana's been playing excellent baseball. I can't complain a bit about Santana. But these guys, I don't know if they still think Manny Act is managing this team or if they don't have to, to concentrate during ball games or whatever, but that's a lot of the problem that's going on with the Indians. And the fact is, Mark, I want to go back to the Cleveland media. You know, we, they wanted to talk about Ubaldo Jimenez. You're a pitcher. 
You've been a pitcher before. Ubaldo Jimenez, after that outing against New York last Monday, all he did was complain about how he couldn't get loose in the bullpen and he had no pop on his fastball and no control over everything. And the next morning, all I'm hearing on the radio, Mark, is how could Terry Francona, who couldn't even find his way to the ballpark, he got lost on his walk to the ballpark Monday, why in the world would he put Ubaldo Jimenez out there when he had nothing in the bullpen and why wouldn't he bring in some of the bullpen? What is, what's he talking about? He didn't want to waste the bullpen in that situation. Mark, I've had people tell me this, and you, you've been there before. Have you ever warmed up in the bullpen and not had anything and still went out and pitched? Yeah, and I pitched well. And there'd be times I had great stuff in the bullpen. I'd go out and get lit up. So, you know, that's that's the nature of, uh, of being a starting pitcher because sometimes – and I, I would be in the bullpen before the game, and I, my breaking ball is breaking two feet, and my fastball's got life on it. And you go out on the mound, and you know there's nothing there. So you, you can't really fault the manager. You can't if you if you did that. A lot of starting pitchers would never make it into the game because the, their stuff in the bullpen is not very good. Well, and I've also been told earlier this week that hey, maybe Francona was making a statement to him and as don't give me that BS. You're going in a yeah. pitch. Well, that, that obviously, I mean, if Jimenez is saying he shouldn't have started me because I didn't look good in the bullpen, then, you know, he, he's he's a wimp. But I'll tell you what, I, I, back in the day, I, I remember the Reds had a catcher named Ed Bailey. Uh, <laughs> and Ed Bailey was a tough old guy from Tennessee. And I don't know who the pitcher was, but I was down at Crosley Field, and I saw him knock out a pitcher uh, in the dugout because the pitcher crossed him up. And Bailey took one of the chops. Uh, he, he walked up and cold cocked him. And uh, <laughs> I remember Joe Nuxall talking about that. I went to Dream Week and I said, Joe, do you remember the time Ed Bailey knocked out? Oh, he said, oh, yeah. He said, that's what they would do. The catchers, if you crossed a catcher up back in the day, they came up and just grabbed you and threw you against the wall and said, don't ever do that again, punk. Uh, you know, you're going to kill me back there. So. <laughs> <laughs> they did take care of things a little differently back when. Yeah, and, and, and one one last thing about the Cleveland media market, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right now, and then I'll let it drop, and we'll go to our Ask Us segment. We've had Mo Egger, Lance McAllister, uh, Trent Rosencrantz. We've had big name Cincinnati people on this show. We have requested Greg Brenda from ESPN Cleveland, Chris Fedor formerly of ESPN Cleveland. Uh, Tony Rizzo, formerly of ESPN Cleveland. We have, we have requested these guys to come on the show. We get absolutely no response from them. None. The Cleveland media thinks that they are God. <laughs> they think that they are better than everyone, and they've got this complex that the Browns are it. I'm a Browns fan. I'm an Indians fan. I'm a, I'm a Cavaliers fan. But I am so sick and tired of hearing about LeBron James and the Cleveland Browns and who the Browns are going to pick in the draft in two weeks. I could care less by now. It's baseball season. Let's talk about baseball. And we're going to talk about baseball, and we're going to get to your questions. We're going to do that right after this. In Cincinnati last night, Dylan Michael made his highly anticipated debut in front of a full house and did not disappoint. Michael went 3 of 5 with a single and two doubles while driving in three as Cincinnati defeated New York 6 to 3. Michael, Cincinnati's number one pick in this year's amateur draft, virtually forced the team to promote him after pounding minor league pitching since his signing. Last at bat, a novel by Mark Donahue, available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes and Noble, and Books and Company. And you can also pick up the book simply by going to the ultimatesportstalk.com website and order your copy there. Mark, it's time for our Ask Us segment. This is where our listeners ask us questions every single week, and we're going to start it off with a Reds question. We already talked about the uh, Chapman moving into the starting rotation. Let's move to this one from Gus. Uh, he says, would you consider Mark trading Billy Hamilton if you could get another Mike Leak type of starting pitcher and return to fill the void for Cueto, or better yet, I, this one here, I think I'd make, I'd make the trade in a second. But what about Hamilton for Ubaldo Jimenez outright? Uh, no, I wouldn't make that trade. Now, <laughs> I, I don't think the Reds 
not that they don't have to worry about their starting pitching because you always do, but the Reds need a, they need more offense. And if I mentioned to you before we went on the air, I guess uh, about a rumor uh, of the Reds acquiring Giancarlo Stanton from Miami, but it was a steep price. Uh, apparently, the Marlins were looking for Homer Bailey, uh, a, a, a top minor league prospect. I don't know the name, but they also wanted Billy Hamilton. So you are, uh, you know, really gutting your mind. I, I don't know who the other minor leaguer was. Um, I don't think it was Sengrani. I, I think the Reds would turn that deal down cold. But um, the, the Reds need offense, and they've needed offense for a couple of years. And uh, if they're going to contend this year, I, I think that they have the pitching to do it. I really do. Uh, assuming that Johnny Cueto is not laid up for more than a couple of weeks. Uh, Bronson Arroyo looked terrific tonight, and the Reds have won that ball game four to two, by the way. Uh, but uh, you know, I think the Reds need more offense than they than they've got, and uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade Hamilton even up for uh, Imenez, Ubaldo Imenez. I, I would make that deal in a nanosecond. Of course, I, if I was an Indian <laughs> fan, I'd make the deal. <laughs> Mark, I don't remember us saying this last week, but Kirk wrote us a question in here that he said that we said last week that the Reds had a better offense than Cleveland. After this awful week we just came off of, do we still think that is true? I honestly don't recall either one of us saying that the Reds had a better offense than the Indians. Well, I I may have said it two weeks ago before Ryan Ludwig got hurt. Uh, because I think that would be the case. Right now, I, I think both offenses are weak. I mean, you can't you can't look at the Indians lineup and look at anybody that puts the fear of God in you. At least the Reds have Joey Votto, who who arguably is the best hitter, one of the best hitters in baseball, witnessed by all the walks he's getting. But the, the Indians, I think, are the kind of team that can can put some runs together. But that team needs to hit and run. They need to steal bases. Uh, they need good situational hitting because, you know, I, I just don't think they have the depth offensively that, that they're going to need to contend if they try to go up there and, and hit, uh, you know, five-run home runs. It's just they don't have the talent to do that. You know, I kind of disagree with putting the fear of God in you. Now, Mark Reynolds is not Joey Votto. Don't get me wrong. But I think uh, the way he has hit during the last couple of years with Baltimore – and even before that with Arizona, I think he's a proven power hitter. And when he comes up with, with runners in scoring position uh, and you can't pitch around him, he he is a load to handle. And I, I think he does scare pitchers, Mark. Yeah, look at his career strikeouts, though, David. I mean, his... Oh, yeah, he's got a ton. He's, he's, he, he's, uh, he's Adam Dunn, you know, with the same kind of stats. And... What I look at when I see a guy like Reynolds, he can be pitched to. If you make your pitch against him, you're going to get him out. Now, if you make a mistake, he can hurt you. No question about it. But he's not the kind of guy you can build an offensive round. I see him as a great number six hitter with the right kind of offense because that makes your four and five guys get better pitching. But I don't see him, you know, three, four, and five. I don't see him as that kind of hitter. And yet, in many in many lineups, he's forced to be in that role. So a lot of these hitters, it's where they hit and who they have in front of them and who they have behind them. And if if the Reds, as an example, had a Giancarlo Stanton hitting behind Joey Votto, forget it. Votto would hit 350, 360. He'd hit 35 home runs and drive in a lot of runs. But when you have a lesser player, a much lesser player hitting behind him, it just it weakens the whole lineup. And the Indians don't have, I mean, Michael Bourne is is a stud. But imagine if you could, you got Michael Bourne leading off, right? Yep. Okay. Michael Bourne, imagine him in the two hole with a with a great leadoff hitter. It makes him that much that much more valuable than he is now. I mean, he's a good leadoff hitter. But the teams that are really great, they have guys who are – and I always said, look, look at the great teams in the past. When you have their second baseman who can hit, 
you you have an offense because usually a second baseman is an automatic out. They usually they hit they hit eighth or seventh. When they have one who can hit like Joe Morgan, uh, you, you have a, you have a very good offense. So it's 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 how you mix and match all the talents you have. So if the question is which team has the better offense, I think the Reds do. If they had Ryan Ludwig, I'd say the Reds do easily. It's it's a little closer without Ludwig. Well, I think I think Michael Bourne is an outstanding leadoff man, and with that uh, leads us into our next question: Who's got greater value to the Indians right now, Santana or Cabrera? Well, the way Cabrera is hitting right now, one nineteen. Uh, Santana does, and Santana, I think, has become an excellent catcher. You know, last year, Mark, I was begging for him to be put at first base. That's not going to happen anymore. I was also begging for him to get out of the cleanup spot, and it's just like you said. It depends on where you slot these guys in the batting order. Santana doesn't feel like he's got to contribute and control the entire offense for the Indians. And he can bat 6th or 7th, and he's hitting a lot better because he doesn't have that kind of pressure on him like he did last year. So right now I would say, who's got the greater value? Cabrera, because the catching situation in Cleveland is so dire. But shortstop, they've got Francisco Lindor. And in fact, Mark, in a couple weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, Indians farm system with Tony Lastoria. And, and we're going to be talking about Francisco Lindor probably at least 25% of the time because he's the best product that the Indians have in their minor league system. Final question tonight for, on our Ask Us segment. Um, can someone explain to me why Carrasco got an eight-game suspension? It feels like retaliation by baseball for the Quinton fight in L.A. I didn't think it was that serious. I, I think any time you throw at a batter, it's serious. I have absolutely no problems uh, with brushing a batter back. I've got absolutely no problems with plunking a guy in the butt. But when you throw at a guy intentionally at his head, like Carlos Carrasco did, uh, you're begging for trouble. And especially coming off the suspension that he did last year, it was just plain stupid. And I think what Carrasco got was a gift. I think what Quinton got was a gift. And and that's just the way I feel about it, Mark. Was Carrasco starting last year or just relieving? He had Tommy John surgery, so he was out the whole year. It was two right. years ago when he hit he hit the kid from uh, Kansas City after that after an inning where they hit Shinsu Chu again, uh, which was the same pitcher that hit Chu two years ago in San Francisco that broke his hand and he was out for two months. So Carrasco took it upon himself. To hit, hit uh, I, I believe it was Hosmer, but don't hold me to that. Uh, and he blew out his elbow, so he was out all of last year with Tommy John surgery. And the, he did pitch a couple of games as a starter, uh, but that was in minor leagues. This was his first trip back to the majors, and it was his first start. And he does this. Well, it's interesting. When you have a starting pitcher who is suspended for two games, or, 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 I'm sorry, eight, eight games. He really only misses two starts. Now, a relief pitcher, a guy like a closer, you suspend him for eight games, and he could miss six or seven or eight appearances. So, the inconsistency inconsistency of some of these fines and suspensions don't make a lot of sense to me because if a starter, a starting pitcher, is suspended for four or five games, so what? He doesn't even miss a start. <laughs> where an everyday player misses four or five games. And it's much more severe for the, uh, you know, for the everyday player. So I think they have to meet out the, these punishments with a little more thought because, uh, you know, a starting pitcher, just he's only in there every fourth day anyway. Actually, every fifth day. Yeah, and I agree with Don Mattingly. I, I think a just suspension would have been at least a month on Carlos Quinton. Well, that's, I now, I want, go ahead, Mark. Well, that's not over. I guarantee you that's not over. Quentin won't be. The Dodgers play Padres tonight, I think. Um, but they, they play each other 19 times this year. I guarantee you Quentin will go down. Uh, people won't forget that. He broke his, he no, broke his collarbone. And, uh, you know, that was just an idiotic move on Quentin's part. 
and he'll he'll get it nailed at least two or three more times this year by the Dodgers. Uh, the Indians did make a minor minor league deal today. They acquired catcher Chris Wallace from the Astros in exchange for minor league left-hander Eric Berger. Wallace was assigned to Double A Akron after that trade was made. Um, Mark, I want to get into something else here uh, tonight as far as it was Pete Rose's comments in Grantland Magazine about baseball's unwritten rules being stupid. We've kind of touched upon it with these pitchers brushing back players and everything. And, and I think what Pete was mainly talking about was the fact that uh, in a 10-to-1 ball game, if he dropped a bunt down the third baseline for a base hit, he, he would be criticized and ridiculed for weeks, and, and and people would be upset at him. But if Johnny Bench or Pete Rose, and I'm just uh, Johnny Bench and Tony Perez, and I'm just throwing those two names out just for an example, he, he didn't mention these two names. But if those two guys went up in a ten to one game and swung from their heels and hit a home run, nobody'd say a word. And I think Pete's got a point. Yeah, there there is that is an unwritten rule that that you don't you know rub it in as it were. Uh, and there is some inconsistencies. Why is it a you know why do pitchers if they have a ten to one lead are they still trying to strike everybody out? You know it's to to me no lead within reason is safe. I, I've had I played in games where you might have a six to one or seven to one even eight to one lead. And you you know you, you go up there and you try to go the opposite way or you try to steal a base and the opposing team goes ballistic and then they come back and score five runs and all of a sudden it's a seven to five game or or you lose the game because these guys come back so unless it's a complete blowout like that high school game <coughs> up in Ohio I forget <coughs> excuse me I forget where it was sixty five to nothing I heard uh, today <laughs> unless it's a score like that. You know, you do everything you can to, uh, to to score. And major league players, they're, they're paid on statistics. And it wouldn't bother me if, I, if even if I was behind ten to one, if the guy laid down a bunt, you know, throw him out. Well, today is the Jackie Robinson Day around Major League Baseball. All the players are wearing number forty-two, and it, it comes out basically just a couple of days after the movie. 42, the Jackie Robinson story came out, which was actually Thursday night. And earlier this weekend, Mark, Brandon Phillips of the Reds talked about the influence that Jackie Robinson has had on him and his career. You know, Let's if listen. If it wasn't for Jackie, uh, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be pursuing my dream. And uh, all that I can say is an honor to really be playing baseball because of him. I mean, he's one of the main reasons why I love playing this game. And and I play the game the way I do. He's the type of person that he forgives and forgets. You know, I mean, he forgives everybody for everything they, what they said to him and what they did to him. And he wanted to go out there and, and prove to everybody that everybody's welcome, everybody's the same, regardless of what color you are. Baseball, we, we're all family. This is like my second family. And, you know, we need our teammates, you know what I'm saying, through the ups and downs. And for people to do that um, and, and show everybody that we're all human, we're all together. We enter this game together. Baseball is family. And when he did that, it changed the world, you know, uh, especially him being a great player also. I mean, a lot of people looked up to him. And then when he did that, a lot of people looked up to Jackie also. He changed the game a lot. You know what I'm saying? Just watching the videos and, and, and watching the pictures of him, just the way he stood on base and the way he was running and talking to pitchers and stuff. I mean, it, it was crazy. I mean, you can look up to that. You know, um, I mean, if it wasn't for him, base running wouldn't be how it is right now. Really look up to him. I'm, I'm, right now, I wish I could just talk to him and ask him, how did he do it? You know, I mean, how did he do it? And, and thank you very much for letting a lot of guys have the opportunity to really play this game and also changing the world also. I mean, when it comes to just everything, when it comes to everybody just joining together, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. And Branch Rookie, too. I mean, you got to thank those guys. Mark, Jackie Robinson was... Martin Luther King before Martin Luther King. He was Maya Angelou before Maya Angelou. Uh, he, he was President Obama before President Obama. He was uh, really was the Civil Rights Act 20 years before it happened. Yeah, and, you know, the irony of all this, um, the Cincinnati, I don't know what the Cleveland Indians roster makeup is, but the Reds 
have only two African-American players, Derek Robinson and Brandon Phillips. And of all the major sports, ironically, if you look at the rosters, and this, this is a couple of years old, but only, I think two or three years ago, only 12 or 13% of all the players in Major League Baseball were African-American. Most were white or Latin American. And it's, it's a cultural thing, I think, to a, to a large extent, but it's also the kids today, the black kids today, they opt for football and basketball. And Jackie Robinson opened a door that not many people, ironically, have walked through. Not because they, they didn't want to play sports, it's just they didn't want to play baseball. And the opportunities for black kids in the inner city are simply not there. There's no place for them to play. They can always play football and basketball. You can always find a hoop to play. But it, it is an irony. And, and if you look at the Cleveland Indians roster, I'd be curious how many black guys they have on that team, African-Americans. They have lots of Latin players, but uh, I bet there's not more than two or three. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think right off the top of my head, Mark, and, and in all honesty, I can only think of, of Michael Bourne and Michael Brantley uh, just off the top of my head. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, there there are a lot of Latin players, Dominican Republican, uh, Republic players, uh, white players, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact, Mark, that uh, the Little League system, even though it is very, very publicized now with the the World Series being on ESPN and everybody looks at looks forward to it every year, it's not uh, player friendly. And and it's you know, kids just don't go outside and play wiffle ball anymore. They just don't go outside and play stick ball anymore. Everybody stays inside and plays PlayStation or plays on their phones or whatever, but, but everybody is, is is inside nowadays, and baseball is just not a game that you go out and you get together with all the kids from the neighborhood and play anymore. No, and that was the mainstay of, of when you and I grew up. Uh, in the summertime, it started the first warm day in spring, uh, you know, or when school was out. <clears throat> you went to the ballpark at 8 in the morning, and you stayed there until the sun went down, and grudgingly you'd go home and throw a sandwich down and come back and keep playing. You'd play all day, all day. And kids just don't do that today. I, I'm not saying it was time well spent on our part, but it's it's amazing when you look at the at the skill sets of of the various cultures. And you and I just you know the, the Indians and the Reds combined have eight percent of their uh, of their roster is African Americans, but not one not one of them is a pitcher. And you know why is that? Uh, is there is there something that we're not picking up in terms of the interest level. Uh, certainly the, the athletic skills are there. And it, it's, it's just a strange dichotomy when, when, when Jackie Robinson did so much for his sport, opening up the doors. But what people don't realize back in the day, uh, while a lot of the players you know, wanted to challenge themselves playing black players, a Negro baseball, as it was called back then, uh, the Negro Baseball Leagues were hugely. They were the Negro Baseball League was the second biggest business owned by uh, African Americans in the United States. So when Jackie Robinson signed with the Dodgers and, and went to play, that opened the door, and Negro Baseball was done in two years. It was over because they, they couldn't retain the stars. Now. It, <laughs> Obviously, it was the right thing to do. I'm not saying that. It just it, it changed. Negro League Baseball was hugely pro popular in the inner cities. Detroit, in Cleveland, uh, I think it was with the Cleveland, the Cleveland Grays. I think it was the name of the team. I mean, there was a huge... They'd have 50,000 people to Municipal Stadium. They'd have World Series. This was a big-time business. And it's basically all gone away. And I just wish we could get more of the young black kids to embrace baseball and play it. Well, the movie is outstanding. I think everybody should go see the movie, not simply because it's a cinematic great feature, but because of the message that it pertains. And that message is, is that you can overcome no matter what the obstacles. 
And what a lot of people don't realize, Mark, is that Branch Rickey is from Ohio. He went to Ohio Wesleyan, graduated from Ohio Wesleyan, was an assistant baseball coach at Ohio Wesleyan, and he has the gymnasium at Ohio Wesleyan named after him, Branch Rickey Arena. Uh, so he is from Ohio, and it, he really he even mentions it in the movie that uh, that's one of the reasons that he wanted to bring Jackie Robinson to the major leagues because of what happened to him at Ohio Wesleyan. But one other thing I didn't realize, Mark, Leo DeRocher was supposed to be his first manager, but he was suspended that year by the commissioner, Happy Chandler, for having an affair with a Hollywood actress. <laughs> he was suspended the entire year. Yeah, but if she was really hot, it was probably worth it. Well, that's what it, that Branch Rickey says in the movie. He asked Leo, he says, was it worth it? And Leo goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> so hey, one, uh, another, I would recommend one other thing before we leave uh, uh, on Jackie Robinson about 10 or 12 years ago I flew into Fort Lauderdale airport and it, it was late at night it was maybe 12 o'clock I was coming in from Chicago and uh, standing there in the baggage plane was uh, Mrs. Robinson Jackie Robinson's wife and their son who was a grown man by that time. And we were all alone there, and my bag was lost, so I was waiting around, and they were standing there waiting for their bags. And I just walked over and, and told her what a fan I was of her husband and how much I admired him. And we just chatted, and she was so nice and so polite and so intelligent and articulate and gracious and all the, the adjectives you can think of, of just a, a very, very nice person. And to me, that just completed the circle because you hope when people are associated with what Jackie Robinson did that they are as nice as their acts and you know she she deserves a lot of credit for supporting him and you know they dated five years before they got married uh, she was there his entire career and he died a young man and she has carried on his legacy and, and I just wanted to say what, what a charming lady she was and how uh, how much of a pleasure it was for me to meet her. And a lot of people feel that the stress of him playing baseball and what he had to go through is one of the reasons that he did die so young. Yeah, I don't doubt that. But, he, you know, people forget this guy, he, he was a great athlete. He played basketball at UCLA. He ran track, played football. He, he was a great athlete. And he also started late. He was in his what? I, I forget how old he was, 27, 28 when he came up? He was 20, yeah, 27, 28 when he came up. Yeah, I mean, just think how good he could have been if he would have been playing at 20 or 21. Uh, his stats would have been off the chart. And he credits Pee Wee Reese and Ralph Branca for being the ones that really helped him in the clubhouse when he, he became a Brooklyn Dodger. They were the ones that really took him under his wing. Yeah, there were a number of Dodger players who, re who said they refused to play for him. And Leo DeRocher stood up and said, look, this guy is a ball player, and, and if, if, if you don't want to play, we'll trade you. Uh, that's fine. But uh, he's going to play. Yep, and, and that's, that's what happened. I would, I would give it a Roger Ebert, Gene Siskel, two thumbs up. Go see it. 42, the Jackie Robinson story. Uh, it promises to be the best baseball movie out there until last at bat hits the theaters. Yeah, and don't, and don't forget that. And we were actually looking at this very closely because of the way they cast that thing, that there's only one star, and that's Harrison Ford. Everybody else is a newcomer, and that's what we're, uh, we're going to be doing. We, we're going to have one star, maybe two, but uh, the, the casting process is kind of fun. Well, and you'll have a short, fat, ugly ticket taker. That's right. That's right. Mark, what are the Reds got coming up this week? Well, they, they have a week that they, they ought to do pretty well. They're playing the Phillies. Uh, they just won that game 4-2. to two. Uh, They play them the next two games, and they have the Marlins coming in for a four-game series starting on Thursday night, and then they have the Cubs uh, next week. So they're in a stretch of 20 straight games, and uh, as I said at the beginning of the year, if the Reds can get out of April at 500, I like their chances. Well, Miami certainly has the cure that will uh, take care of the ills that ail you. <laughs> that, that was well said. Right. 
Yeah, try saying that fast three times. The Indians this week, they've got Boston coming to town tomorrow night. It's a reunion. Terry Francona meeting his old team, the Boston Red Sox, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights. And then they go to Houston to play the Astros Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon. Mark, we'll talk to you next Monday night at 9. Have a good one, David. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Hey, don't forget that the BBA Baseball Talk Show is now simulcast on Ultimate Sports Talk. So you can join me right here Thursday night at 9 o'clock for the BBA Baseball Talk Show. My guests will be Christine Rock. We'll be talking about the Red Sox and Tim McGinnis about the new Wrigley Field renovation project going on in Chicago. Join us then. And join us again next Monday night at 9 o'clock along with Mark Donahue for another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Until then, for Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Good night, everyone.